Hello and welcome. Technically, uh, we've already celebrated our New Year's and so we're off and running. We're still excited to uh, be doing these encounter videos. At this point, I would think in real time, yeah. we record yeah. these like a week early, but I think Rebecca is officially our new Director of Women's Ministry or Ministry to Director, Women. Director of Ministry with Women. Yes, I'm, right. the, I'm, I'm officially begun now done the paperwork and everything. Yes. Yep. Absolutely. All right. That's awesome. No turn back, <laughs> but she will by the time you read this or watch this. Yes. All right. um, <laughs> yep. so what we're going to go on with today is going to be lesson six in our uh, encounter uh, study for the uh, winter quarter. Uh, it's going to be for January 9th, 2022. We're going to be reading John two and it's the miracle at Cana. Uh, so it's John 2, 1 through 11. Let's start with our prayer for illumination. Holy God, open up our eyes to your word today. We trust you to take the emptiness of religion and fill us with the richness of your new creation. We submit ourselves to your transforming power and your wisdom to make us into our true selves, the people you made us to be. And I will give a shout out to uh, oldsongnewdance.wordpress.com. I found a couple prayers there before that I'd like. Um, so again, John 2, 1 through 11, and our memory verse is from John 1, 10. And she said to him, everyone serves, or he said to him, everyone serves the good wine first and then the inferior wine after the guests have become drunk, but you have kept the good wine until now. All right, so start us off here, Becky, in this introduction. Oh gosh, well, isn't that the beautiful story of our parents knowing best for us? I don't know about you. Um, <laughs> But, but my parents, um, well, I can't say that they didn't know best for me. I, I think they really did. They had my best intentions at heart. It's just when you're young, you just think your parents are old and curmudgeon and don't know anything at all. Um, and it reminded me of the relationship that I have with my parents, because as I've gotten older, I find myself calling my parents and apologizing for my uh, poor behavior when I was having your own kids will do that too gosh yeah and especially when my children do something exactly like I did I call my mom and I'm like mom I love you so much thank you for loving me I'm so sorry I was such a punk um and here I think that's a great way to think about the relationship with Jesus and his mom because we again we forget the humanness the side of Jesus. We always think of the divine nature, but we forget about the human side of Jesus and that he had to grow and develop and change. And how did that relationship with his mom change as he grew and developed? I mean, we see this here, you know, in, in Luke when he was, what, 12 and he was at the temple for three days. Um, where, well, his parents were searching for him for three days. We're not really sure how long he was at the temple, um, but his parents were searching for him. And here he was sitting down and speaking amongst all the scholars and the leaders. So what dynamic then changed between him and his mom? And how, how did that play out as a 12-year-old as he grew, understanding who he was, what his mission here was on earth, and understanding his relationship with him and his father, his heavenly father, not necessarily his earthly father, but how did that change? How did that change the dynamic between him and his mom as he grew and changed? And, um, and I love how Kip points out several times in this, that, that he was really a catalyst, you know, that she was the catalyst for Christ. 
in, in some aspects in some ways. I think that's something really interesting to think about. Of course, we won't know. Um, there's no solid answers to that, but no. interesting thought process. Yeah, so like I think of my mother or father. I mean, certainly a catalyst to move me closer to to Christ. Sure. I mean, you know, and that's I guess that's the job of a parent um, of you know parents who have um, you know been baptized and have had their babies baptized. That's certainly the the goal is to always be the catalyst to move closer to Christ. Um, and so, yeah, I wanted to bring up like. I'm pretty certain in my mind, Jesus knew exactly who he was as a child of God. Also as this child of Mary and Joseph, like at the temple story you brought up, he retorts to his parents. Didn't you know I'd be in my father's house? Right. And I think he he was fully aware of who he was. However, we're children of God too. Um, Mm -hmm. We, we know that in our head, but we don't often reflect it in our, maturity or in our actions or the things. And so I think we, the, I think the human side of Jesus was human and developed deeper and deeper uh, understandings as, as he grew. And so Kip asked this question um, in the last paragraph before the exploring the scripture subheading there, it says, but what did she know for that matter? What did Jesus know? As we study Mm -hmm. this passage, it should be noted. I believe Jesus was learning about his relationship with God, just as we do. Um, and so, you know, I think, I don't know, I think he knew, but I think he still had knowing to go. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Divine side. And so, um, and sure. I think that's the way that we, uh, I think that's the way we should understand that. Again, it's just hard yeah. because we just want to put Jesus as this 100% divine person and we forget the 100% humanity. And even if yeah. we don't forget it, we don't attribute much human to him other than maybe compassion or you know, but it's hard yeah. for us to struggle with human things such as doubt, Jesus doubt, or, you know. Yeah, yeah. So anyway. That's interesting. And it's also interesting, that question, what did she know? Uh, you know, thinking about the scripture that we're fixing to jump into, what did she know? How much did she really understand? I mean, she knew this was a, a, the divine child, you know, right. obviously, the angelic heralding of his of his birth announcement would give you some semblance or clue I would think but what did she really know what did she really understand that who Jesus was as we're as we're fixing to jump into the exploring the scripture with the historical setting that's a great question to be thinking about is how deep um, was Mary's understanding of who Christ was yeah so actually it just came into my mind I said I was going to make this quick and easy today but I'm not no you're good my mother-in-law, she had to go for a test. And oftentimes these tests reveal whether she has to have uh, blood. She, she has this thing to where basically she goes through this test and they got to pull some blood out, put some blood in and, and it just wipes around. And so yesterday she went and she said, uh, it's always funny. I pray that I won't have to do this every time I go. And when I go and they say, I don't have to do this, I'm surprised. And I think that hits what Mary might be thinking. She knows who Jesus is. Yeah. But still, you have to experience some things. You don't understand the deep grasp or you don't trust completely or you just, you know, you just, you got to evaluate. I mean, like she's growing as a human too. We all know truths, but it takes a while for them to set in, I guess is what I'm saying. Um, Sure. No, that's a great thought. Love that. So we know if we pray, God's going to act. When he acts, we're surprised until we're not. Yeah. Because we grow into it. Right. And so, yeah. 
Um, but it is what it is. All right. So that gets us to the exploring the scripture setting. And so mm-hmm. I will let you go with your thoughts on these. For us. I really loved in the section that Kip talks about the marriage ceremony that would have been present during this culture during this time. We get so stuck on when we read this, this wedding of Cana. I think because we're of the Western mindset that we have this one day celebration over, right? And that's what we think about when we think the wedding in Cana. So we think, oh, well, it was the evening meal. It was after the, the ceremony already and finished, but it's not. This is, this is a week long. This is a long drawn out process, y'all. You know, people that are complaining about how much you got to pay for food for a wedding now. Right. You got, you got a week. Okay. You got a week. You got to pay for the hospitality of people coming into your home and making sure that they are fed and making sure that they have something to drink. And I love that Kip really points this out and really highlights this for this because that changes how you envision this wedding feast and what was, what was happening. And the fact that you had to show hospitality. I mean, this was part of the culture. If you didn't show this hospitality, just how uh, of a, a terrible stigma that was on the whole family that you were not going to be blessed in your marriage. You were not going to be blessed throughout your entire life because you were unable to continue to be the blessing and be hospitable to the rest of the community for this entire time frame. So that that's really important um, because, you know, hospitality, that's a beautiful gift that some people have up until... You know, up until the technology really took over and we started hitting social media pretty hard, I would say hospitality was still really important in our own culture, how we welcome people into our home, making sure that we had enough food and drink when we offered a meal to them. And, but then also how our hospitality has changed, how it's gone from being in person to how do you then be hospitable to a church culture when it's completely virtual. Right. Or what how do, do you do there? How do you show hospitality to the virtual person? Like fights you get yeah. on Facebook, the way you use Twitter. Oh my gosh. These kind of things. <laughs> and we wouldn't do that in person. That's said a lot, but it's true. We're we're it's hard for us to think we're we're supposed to be hospital hospitable digitally yeah. as well. That's a mouthful. <laughs> Um, Say that 10 times fast. My goodness. (laughs) I think that's a good point. I mean, obviously, Jewish culture was a a culture of hospitality. Um, Yeah. I I think I would bring up the the other thing to this is weddings were so important because weddings also meant, you know, I'm sure they had their own problems, too. But weddings also meant the possibility of new creation with a baby. Right. And yep. it showed the, so a lot of the Jewish stuff goes back to Genesis chapter two, right? So or Genesis chapter one, whatever the creation story you want to do. But like, um, like after God made human beings, Adam and Eve, he gives them these commands, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, subdue it, have dominion. And that word dominion is important that uh, a man could not bring forth the image of God alone. A woman could not bring forth the image of God alone. Only a man and woman could become the bearers of, a, of the image of God with having a baby to create a baby. And then they have dominion over this world. And so Kip and uh, page 38 brings up the fact that they were dressed, they wore crowns and dressed in bridal robes and they were treated like Queens and Kings and were actually addressed as King and Queen. 
And, mm-hmm. and there's some dignity in that that we've lost, obviously. I mean, marriage yeah. in and of itself, we don't value too terribly much in the West or America. I don't know about other places, but but we've also lost that imagery of we are God's image in the world that bears God's image in the world that has dominion over the world. And so right. I think um, anytime I get a chance, I love weddings. I love babies. Yeah. I, I don't I wouldn't want to have one. <laughs> but I really hope yeah, lots of I, people I don't know how Amy would feel about that either. <laughs> and multi- right. And they multiply. <laughs> I hope this happens a lot. But I, I do think the wedding is is not just a ceremony, a legal ceremony. I think it is a heartening back to that Genesis passage where God created a special yeah. creation. And you you can't be just man and you can't be just woman. You have to be together in order to be able to fulfill that command of of you know multiplying and, and having dominion on the earth kings and yeah. queens that's a beautiful thought actually i really like that thought process i'm going to change my name to queen becky you should i don't even have to change it it's just your tag at this point okay um, <laughs> from here on out y'all queen. refer to me as queen becky <laughs> my grandmother's name was queen that was her real legal name it was that's awesome that's so the, really awesome yeah she's she was awesome she was a queen yeah um so the uh Kip also brings in here that, that, you know, this is the first, well, let's go ahead and do the discussion question. That way we can, we can banter this about a little bit. So the discussion question that we're going to highlight this week is the one for the exploring the scripture setting. Um, And it's uh, reads before reading on, why do you think the author begins at a wedding to transform water into wine with all the miracles we read about in scripture? Why did the author use just seven? Uh, What, for you, what do these signs mean? And what Kip's saying there in the book of John, it's um, kind of categorized by these seven, seven miracles, seven signs. And mm-hmm. so this mm-hmm. is the first one, the, the water into wine. So why do you think, mm-hmm. Becky, that, I mean, why this? Why this one? Yeah. I, I think this is a great question because, you know, at some point in time in my history, I was thinking about this. I was taught that this was the first recorded miracle of Christ like ever but then if you read back it tells you that him and his disciples were all invited to the sweating feast and we know there are other miracles that Jesus performed like when he told Peter to cast the net over the side of the boat and Peter gathered up all these fish and he was like ah truly you are the son of God you know so why this particular miracle I, I think it's I think this is the representation of new life. Um, And this is what John, of course, we know John's gospel is all about pointing to the deity of who Christ is. It is recognizing his deity and everything that was accomplished. And starting here at this beautiful feast where new life is going to begin. And if we look to, um, I don't know if it's in this section or the next section that Kip really gets into what wine means that might be learning from the scripture learning from the scriptures where he gets into that um but how wine was really a life-giving substance in this culture um and incredibly important so this whole idea that here is christ christ is now doing something different getting away from the law and fulfilling the, the scriptures the fulfilling the law and the prophets And now we have this new kind of life that's being given to the people freely. 
and it's the best tasting uh, life possible. And so I think that's why John begins with this particular miracle is because this is where for John and the way that he tells the story, this is where Jesus's journey as the life bringer, fulfilling his ministry and walking into what he was supposed to walk into. This is where it begins is here at this wedding feast. Um, yeah, I think so. I think the other thing is John has this heavy emphasis on John the Baptist uh, in his, in his program, yeah. right? Yeah. And so yeah. John the Baptist was a firestone and like repent or go to hell or like you brood of vipers and all this stuff. <laughs> right and so then you have this transition in chapter two describing who jesus is and he takes Mm -hmm. on a different flair saying wait where john the baptist i'm not john the baptist was obviously right in his ministry i'm not saying he wasn't but he emphasized a certain thing and then jesus came and said um these six pots which represent that holiness and whatever we're going to make this filled with wine and i guess what i'm saying is he came with you know the acknowledgement of the need for holiness but holiness was supposed to be viewed as a wedding feast not as a you know not as not as just a dead ritual or or whatnot so yeah a life-giving life-giving moment this life-giving ritual of celebration not a restriction celebration new creation yeah um I just wanted to highlight, so going through the book of John, this obviously we've said is the first um, miracle in recorded in the book of John. So it's the water and wine. The next is the healing of the royal official son in John 4, and then the healing of the paralyzed man at the pool of Bethsaida in John 5, and then the feeding of the 5,000 in John 6, and then Jesus walks on water in John 6 as well. Then the healing of the man born blind in John 9. And then the final one would be the raising Lazarus from the dead uh, in John 11. And so Mm -hmm. I just wanted to bring those out. I think we'll talk about some of those a little bit later. But those are the signs. And each of these signs are supposed to point us to something about Jesus, pointing him to be the Messiah. uh, Yeah. And all that good stuff. I think it's really important for us to think about, too, in, in our culture when we we kind of miss a lot of the symbolism that is represent represented. That's, that's a word represented in the scripture because we just tend to just kind of read right through and expect things to be right in your face. And there's not, there's a lot of symbolic happenings in the scriptural readings, because again, they're writing to a different culture in a different time. And this is how they outlined their things when they wrote things down. And so we have to remember that these are representative of something else and need to look for what that is that John's pointing us to. Gotcha. Are you good with that section? I'm good with that. All right. So then let's go on to the digging deeper section. And uh, Kit brings up, uh, you know, kind of the relationship between Jesus and his mama. And then also just some things. So actually what I'm going to do is read the discussion question, because I think that'll be a platform by which we can jump off. The, yep. the second discussion question: Do you sense a do you sense a disrespect between mother and son, or more playful banter when Jesus says, "You know, look, woman," you know, whatever? Um, based only on John's gospel, what type of relationship did Jesus have? Jesus and his mother have? I'll let you see. I'm going to let yeah. you go because you're in the position of saying, "Is this playful banter, or is this sure. narcism, snarkily again, or whatever?" Yeah, yeah I think. 
I always had an had trouble with the scripture because I couldn't imagine Jesus being disrespectful to his mom. But yet in the Western culture, if my kid walked up to me and said, woman, what do you want me to do about it? I would have slapped in the head. First of all, you know, I'm just like, pow, what did you just say to me? I don't think so. Um, you know, so that's kind of how it reads. But we have to remember that there was this beautiful relationship between Jesus and his mom. Maybe not, again, as we talked about before, not fully understood, like, how much did Mary actually know about Christ? And how much um, did she understand who he was? And where was Jesus at this time? But how this moment is kind of, I don't know if it's really playful banter, as much as it's this recognition that maybe now is the time. Um, and she is using this moment as, as a catalyst to push Jesus into, okay, you're telling me it's not your time, but I'm saying, I think it is like right now it is. And so I've really, I've struggled with what tone does Jesus have when he, when he says the sentence and trying to understand that it can't be disrespectful. Cause I just, you know, he would not disrespect his mother. That's not who Jesus is. But how how do you interpret this particular sentence when he calls her woman? <laughs> yeah. Not, you know, not, I didn't ever see it like in a horrible way, but I just didn't think, good grief. Why would you say that to your mom? <laughs> yeah. So I've thought about this quite a bit too. Um, and And I think in some sense, we're uncomfortable with it, but Jesus is both human and divine. He is uh-huh. the son of God. He is God incarnate. Right. And so in some sense, um, I so if you see it like that, that he is God incarnate, that the prologue in the book of John says, although all things were created through him, this is literally in some sense, the creator of Mary. I don't know if there's a better way to express her dignity than to call her woman, which is, you know, if he was the agent of creation, he knows the spirit the beauty and the, and the specialness of what that means. And again, I think in the Western culture, we like have these gender wars to where like, you know, woman is, you know, better, less or whatever than men or men have to be girl or whatever. I mean, we're not the creator of us. I mean, like if you like, I think I'm a good cook. I think everything I make is good because I make it. And so if you think about it in that sense, this is God incarnate. uh, I think, lending that title woman and it's a mm-hmm. title it's a privilege it's an honor it's not something to say woman in your place it's woman in all the celebratory understanding of what it meant to be created in the garden of eden and and to be part of that image of god i think that's yeah. how that's supposed to be understood again but i mean that maybe that's too right. logical or whatnot but this is the well, no. talking to the yeah. created designating them as a special creation. I think that's actually honorific. And I I love that thought process, which then if you look at what Kip is saying here in this section about how this this first introductory point of Mary, this woman is then bookended at the end of John with woman here is your son. So it's, it's, yeah, 1926 is where that one came from. Woman, here's your son. So it's that whole thought process of recognizing 
who she is as the created being that I think I, I really, I really kind of, I'm digging this whole idea of, you know, transitioning my own mind from, you know, woman, what do you want me to do with about this to recognizing her beautifulness, her createdness as yes. a woman, as this created complement, this helpmate, this other half of the puzzle that is, that is here. Yeah. Beautiful. I think a lot of things. I love that. Yeah, when we think about gender roles and society and all these things, like we just get caught up in, in, uh, of course, I acknowledge I'm a white man, um, but I'm a child of God, created in the image yeah. of God, and I can't be yeah. without the other created image of God, which is a woman, and it's not, right. and, and we have this special creation, I mean, we are special creations, far beyond our roles in our particular families as mom or as sure. child or as husband, those are all important, but our vocation, our calling and identity is child of God first. Yes. First and, and foremost. Things go from there. And what better can yeah. there be? I say or ask. Yeah. Well, yeah. You know, I mean, that I'm, queen, child of God, you yeah. know, I mean, what, what better imagery can we have of our own being? Mother of human Yes, understanding that that's that's the role that we play here, and and how we how we work that out throughout our life of understanding that's who we truly are. Beautiful, good yeah. stuff, Chris. Good All right, stuff. so learning from the scripture, the witness of the church. I really did enjoy this. So, but I'm because I just enjoyed it so much. I'm gonna let you go yes. first. <laughs> okay, there was a lot of great information in this section. I've really love the imagery that Kip used to help us kind of move through understanding that wine is something more than to them than just a drink in the Jewish culture, that this is something that's very important. Um, I, I love how he pointed out that he wasn't sure what Mary, what, well, Mary wasn't sure what Jesus was going to do. She just knew that he was going to do something. And I really agree with that. That's the second paragraph. Yeah, I want to say, you, yeah, that's fake. Yeah, yeah. You that, wanted me to talk, but now you're going to jump in? <laughs> no, I'm going to, I'm going to strengthen your point because I think, yeah, like, okay, go ahead. Enough to I'll let you. There's not enough in that. There's not, sometimes, yeah. like, she didn't know, but she knew he'd do it. And that's something, this something. beautiful thing of faith. Like, I have no idea when I pray, I have no idea what right. God's going to do, but I, I have faith that he's going to do something. Yes. Right. And I but think I think that also strengthens that, that relationship that we see where if we dissect it and we look at the sentence before when she comes up to him and she says, they don't have any more wine. And he says, woman, what do you want me to do? My time has not yet come. And yet she understands the relationship is strong enough that she understands that he's going to do something. Right. She just doesn't know what this something is going to do. That she turns around and she tells the servants, whatever he tells you to do, you, you just do it. You just go ahead and do it, you know? And it's this, it's this catalyst moment, I think, again, of he saying, my time's not yet come, but she's going, mm, I think it has. Yeah. I, I think your time is now, you know? And so it's that beautiful relationship dynamic that you get, I think, in that, in that moment where she doesn't know, but yet she knows he's going to do something to fix this problem. And then we get into that whole transformation. And I loved that too. That's the last sentence on the top of top paragraph, page 41. It says, therefore, the replacement of the Jewish ceremonial water symbolizes the new transforming work of Jesus. And I think this 
two. This this is the catalyst moment where he goes from being who he is to publicly being who he is. This is that transformational moment where Jesus is saying, okay, this water that symbolizes this transformation that the Jews used all the time as ceremonial cleansing to we're doing something new. And it's this life-giving thing. It's this life-giving moment. It's this, again, at a wedding in Cana, talking about life and creating new life and this new, this is a whole symbolic representation of it's going from the old to the new and it's bringing a new life. So you sparked me again here. Yep. So, Go for okay. it. Um, and this, this sounds like a like first century interpretation, what I'm about, <laughs> but I want to at least put it up. So like the other thing is these um, jars were used for ceremonial washing of the exterior. Wine you drink in. Right? Ah. So I think that there, while you're talking, this is what came to me. It's like, there's this sense in which you've got this external going on. Yeah. And then the wine though, you consume, right? And it's good. Like leads the heart to joy. They say. Yeah. Yep. It was the best tasting wine they've ever, they've ever had. Yeah. Pretty good there. And it's cleansing from the inside out. Then. Yeah. And it, and it, it, yeah. and it brings, you know, yeah. Refreshing. Instead of just this yeah. external focus, it's this internal part. You know, I think that's yeah. like, that's the thing about communion you are taking in, right? Like you're not just so like in the old Testament, you would have these sacrifices. They would stay external, but the sacrifice of Christ, the lamb of God, you're, you're, you're in consuming and it, it in you, not just an external part of you. Yeah. It's a transformative process from the inside out, not just an external process. Yeah. I love that. And if you think about the fact that we take the communion, we take this together around this table remembering who christ was and his sacrifice that was made for us and then really internalizing that so that it changes us and transforms us in ways that we can't even possibly imagine so you just brought up the fact Mm -hmm. that in communion we do this together right we come together. so like i've said that the i think the reason why john starts with the wedding feast is because it is it's not just the it is not just the declaration of Christ's starting, but it's also the end goal because in, in the book of revelation, especially if you're one who thinks John wrote the revelation, wrote revelation. Yeah. He has this image of the marriage supper, like the final marriage supper. So it's in uh, revelation nine, I think verse 17. And what verse 17, um, I think it's revelation seven, 19 verse nine. I'll just read this. Well, okay. So one through seven is basically this thought where the, the church, uh, starting in verse six, he says, then I heard what sounded like a great multitude, like the roar of rushing waters, like loud peals of thunder shouting hallelujah for our Lord God almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory for the wedding of the lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. Fine linen, bright and clean was given to her to wear. Fine linen stands for the righteous acts of God's holy people. Then the angel said to me, write this, blessed are those who are invited to the wedding supper of the lamb. And he added these words, these are the words of God, true words of God. Uh-huh. So I think in some sense, Christ is saying, it starts with me. I'm the one, I am the, the thing that makes you joyful. And then you have the Lord's supper instituted. And then finally, yep. 
we as a whole community, just like a wedding feast, we would, but we're the bride. So we're, we're the Queens. And so Mm -hmm. anyway, but I think that's why, that's why I think John starts with the, because it's the, it's the bookends again, if you want to talk about bookends. Um, Yeah, absolutely. I totally agree with that. Another word. uh, That's all I got. You got any? That's all I've got on that. You know, what a beautiful blessing that was. We're going to try to apply the scripture. I, I love some of these responses. Right. <laughs> those are quite comical. Those are those are good uh, responses. So this also brings up something too. I mean, the, the other thing I was thinking, like again, John the Baptist. I think it's in Matthew um, where the Pharisees are criticizing Jesus. In some sense, they're like, uh, and he says, you know, you criticize John because he was, you know. Yeah, because he, he didn't drink and yeah. and he didn't associate with people. But then the son of man comes drinking and having fun and you say he's a glutton, right? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I wonder, I mean, that's kind of, you know, that those little things that that um, Kip writes, I think, reminds me of that. Is that you just can't uh-huh. make people happy. You can't do it. No. <laughs> you can't make people happy. Mm-mm. So how, how do we apply this? You know, he talks about this abundance, hospitality to all people, which were obviously very there during this wedding feast. Um, understanding that Jesus transforms us from the inside out, making this imperfect human that I am. Um, you can ask my husband, he'll tell you every day. <laughs> how imperfect I really am. (laughs) Even if everybody else thinks I'm great, my husband will tell you the truth. (laughs) But there there are still flaws that I'm working on. My wife does that. I don't get it. (laughs) You know, golly. Um, But that through Christ and understanding who we are, allowing Jesus to transform and change us, that we become this new creation full of love and life and laughter able to offer hospitality, able to give from our own abundance, um, just this beautiful, truly, truly being the image of God and, and a queen here on the side of, uh, of the, my life. Yeah, I think that's true. I, I think uh, Kit brings up, I think what I would point out that I think if you were teaching a Sunday school class or if you're a preacher or whatnot, this preaches uh, that very last paragraph. Uh, not last paragraph, the third, one, two, three, third paragraph on page 42. Jesus is not just about the spiritual issues of our lives. He is concerned about the common ordinary things, like whether we have enough wine for our guests. He is about redeeming all parts of our life, not just the interior prayer, soul-related stuff that we may be too tempted to focus on. He looks to you, he looks to you and me to live this out. And I think what Kip is saying is none of these miracles that John records were for the purpose of just simply seeing how great Christ was. They have no. the way of pointing toward Christ and his being the Messiah, but this saved the dignity of the, of the couple, right? When Jesus heals the blind man, it wasn't just to demonstrate his power over healing someone, but it was to give sight to a blind person. When somebody was brought to him who couldn't walk, it wasn't just to say, oh, there he is again, high and mighty, better than Zeus. No, the person <laughs> couldn't walk. And Christ right. cared. And then the one that obviously should come to mind is 
Jesus knows he's going to raise Lazarus from the dead. When he's talking to Martha, he weeps. And it's because he knows humans suffer and he hates suffering. And so the raising of Lazarus, again, wasn't just to demonstrate his ability to be above death, but it was because Martha was hurt. And, and of course, Lazarus was dead. And so I think that's really important. Like, that's amazing uh, to me. You, you can create stories about gods and how powerful things are, but it's just in the Gospels and it's in Christ where you see that these, these were meant to restore the human condition, to restore us yeah. back to that king and queen that we are. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. To, to bring that new life that's represented, that new life back to those who are suffering and dying. Mm. And that's, and that's what it was all about. I think that's a good place to stop if you're ready. I don't know yeah. when y'all are watching this, but there's a lot of football coming on here in a little bit. <laughs> Chris it needs attendance. He needs to go watch the football. Oh, <laughs> uh, goodness. Anyway, um, anything else you got? No, I think that was a great place to, to let it go on. This idea of, of Jesus is the life bringer. I like it. All right. Well, may the Lord bless you, keep you, make his face shine upon you, be gracious unto you. May the Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. And may you all teach and preach with grace and power this week. And we'll see you again next week.